Welcome to Elementor Talks, the podcast that connects marketing, design, and development experts to help you build better websites. Nick Francis is the co-founder and CEO of Help Scout, the company behind the popular web-based help desk software. Founded in 2011, Help Scout serves more than 10,000 customers in over 140 countries. In our podcast, Nick shares his insights on how to properly delegate assignments as the company grows. He describes how his position as a CEO changed over the years and explain how Help Scout manages to provide real human experience through customer support. Hello, I'm to another episode of Elementor Talks and I'm Ben and with me today uh, our guest is Nick Francis from Help Scout, co-founder and CEO. Hi Nick. How's it going, Ben? Nice to be with you today. Yeah, it's great to to talk to you. It's actually it's actually funny because uh, I've encountered your your company on different routes. Meaning, we are actually your users. We launched uh, three years ago, almost three years ago. I think with only one support person, and uh, we we scaled with you. Today we have dozens of support personnel all across the world. We uh, handle hundreds of tickets every day. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, and thousands uh, per month. And the, the growth, even between this year and last year, it's it's amazing per month. Well, congratulations on all your success. I had nothing to do with that, but I'm but I'm I'm really happy that uh, that, that you you all have been so successful. Yeah, you gave us, you know, that you helped us, uh, you know, help uh, others deal with uh, learning how to use Elementor uh, and and work with it well. So that's that's important. Well, the, the the most important thing for us is that that our customers feel like we share the same values, right? That that you really uh, care about a great customer experience, and if you do, then we will most likely be good partners for quite some time. So it's it's really uh, nice that we've been able to grow alongside you. Yeah, and the second uh, time I, I heard about the company was actually one of the podcasts that I follow was in Drift's podcast when they talked about the the, the companies that uh, work differently, and I really loved the, the angle of of really loved how your company really approached challenges in a human way. So I'd love to talk to you about that. But before we go into it, I'd love to hear about your your history because. I find it interesting that you actually started in web design in uh, building websites. Yeah, 100%. I'm the kind of person that has never had a real job. I always learn by doing, and typically doing means starting companies <laughs> for me. So ever since I was 15, I've started different companies, and uh, it became really clear to me. My, my parents were an unbelievable influence on me. I got my first laptop when I was like 11 years old and was really fascinated by the web. I was able to come of age as a human as the web was really coming of age. And it was an incredible time. And uh, it was very clear to me early on in my career that I had to get involved and I I needed to learn this craft. And in order to learn the craft of web design and building things using this wonderful new medium, I just started a company to do that. I figured why not get paid to learn? And so we started building uh, websites for small businesses and got into all sorts of really fun stuff over the years and did that for about six years before we said, hey, I think we've mastered this craft at least well enough that I'd like to take another step and try to build a product, try to build something that really stands the test of time that we can iterate on for several years 
And so that's kind of where we are today. But absolutely, building websites is the best way, in my opinion, to really learn the craft of uh, building things for the web and working with customers and just understanding all of those aspects of the business. So what made uh, the transition? That was back in 2011 that you decided to, to build Help Scout. Like what uh, initiated it? Yeah, there were a couple of things. First, we were really inspired by a bunch of companies doing things that were really amazing, at least in our view. 37 Signals was probably the first and foremost there. They were making Basecamp, which, and they're now called Basecamp, uh, but they had a bunch of products back in the day. MailChimp, Campaign Monitor, Litmus. There were all these really great sort of bootstrappy companies building awesome products. And it seemed like a really difficult, challenging thing to work on, but at the same time, extraordinarily rewarding, right? In client work, the, the big challenge is that in the end, you don't get to decide what gets shipped. In the end, you're serving a customer and that customer gets to make the decisions. The difference with software is that in the end, you're serving a customer, but you get to make the decisions and you get to determine uh, how the product works to a, to a large extent. And don't get me wrong, that's very much informed by customers, but it's really great to feel like you're in control of your own destiny. And software has a an aspect of scalability to it that building websites doesn't typically at least. And so it's really great to just harness the power of monthly recurring revenue to continue to iterate and improve on one product, right? One single focus and vision. So that's, that's been really fun. I'm eight years into that business and I'm still having a lot of fun. Uh, when you started 2011, did you think on a yearly basis or did you have a, did you think it was a company that had a long stretch of time? Yeah, I felt like if we did it right, that this would be my last job. And my hope is that it still will be my last job. We entered a market that was quite crowded. There's a lot of different customer support tools out there. And while that may be intimidating for some, for others, I, I feel like that's an opportunity because customer service will never stop being important to businesses all over the world. Maybe it'll it's going to change and evolve just like any other market, but it's going to continue to be arguably the world's biggest software uh, market, right, is CRM. And so being a, a small part of that is really rewarding and endlessly challenging and endlessly inspiring. So we're having a lot of fun on the ride. Yeah. So the kind of clients you have, I heard in, the, in Nathan Latka's podcast that you had recently uh, had 9,000 customers. Yeah, we're about, I think we're over 10,000 now in terms of companies around the world that are using the product. So is like, tell me the scale. What's the type of companies that are small and what's the type of companies that are large in, in terms of, you know, uh, characteristic? Yeah, so we're really focused on when we started Help Scout, it was very clear to us that there were several companies that were serving larger businesses. There were several products that were meant to serve the needs of more of an enterprise use case. That's why they were called help desks. I feel like that whole term was born in the enterprise. It's a really ugly term. <laughs> yeah. Help desk. I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't really have a good <laughs> ring to it. It doesn't really sound very human, does it? Yeah. So when we entered the market, the whole, the whole thesis behind why we created Help Scout was to make support more human and helpful as well. So we really wanted to focus on SMB. Small businesses have a, are, typically are more customer centric, right? Like they typically differentiate from their competition by providing excellent customer service. 
and, uh, and, and an excellent experience that's meant for a, a smaller audience. And so that just, that's always resonated with me. Like I said, I, I've started a bunch of companies in my life. I've, they've, always, they've all been small businesses. And so those are my people. And I feel like if we're going to build a product, those are the people I know how to build products for. And that just so happened to be, that was the space where the market had the most opportunity. So uh, we've always focused on small businesses. So that could be where Elementor started, which is one support rep up to several hundred, but more than 90, I'd say even 95% of our customers are less than a hundred users. So we, you know, and we'll have the really fast growing companies like Slack was a Help Scout customer until they just got way too big and they moved on to Zendesk and that made total sense, right? So there's a lot of great software companies that we've had the opportunity to work with as they sort of went through those early stages. And if you grow beyond Help Scout, it totally makes sense, but we're not a fit at some level. We really want to be focused on on more of the small business use case. And, and to be honest, the small business values. That's what really makes me excited about working with those customers. I did an interview with uh, John Jentz and he talked a lot about the referral engine. And I think that's that's a lot about, I mean, there's there's a growing talk about the role of customer success in terms of, of the marketing efforts of businesses. It's becoming a lot more important in, in the views than, you know, the pay-per-click and other metrics. So like, how is this shift changing? What's happening here? Yeah, well, a couple things. One, we talk a lot at Help Scout about marketing that you can't write a check for. And we try every dollar that we put into marketing is something that we'd like to think you can't write a check for it, right? So the time that we spend crafting really excellent content that's for customer service professionals. That's something that's really hard to write a check for and also feel authentic and make really high quality content. Any of the advertising we're doing, we're trying to have a lot of fun with it. And so everything that we do, if, it, if you can write a check for it to grow, when you're in a market that's competing with Salesforce and Zendesk, we're not going to win any of those, by the way. <laughs> so anything you can write a check for, we kind of took that off the table and you know, we've always been the biggest believer, of course, in customer service being one of those things you absolutely that will grow your business if you invest in it, but you can't write a check for it. The one challenge with customer service and customer success is that it's really hard to measure. It's really hard to to put a finger on exactly how you measure that. And the marketing and growth fields have evolved as the web has evolved to such an extent that where I think we've over-optimized towards measurable forms of marketing. And it's almost like if it doesn't fit in a spreadsheet, it's not working. (laughs) If it's not quantifiable, it's not working. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that notion. There's a lot of marketing that's not measurable. Back in the day when they would teach you marketing 15, 20 years ago, it was 50% of your marketing works. We just don't know what 50%. Oh, yeah. Right? (laughs) Now it's like everything has to be quantifiable. Everything has to line up in a spreadsheet. And I have to know my ROI. I think we've over-adjusted towards the quantifiable side of things when it's always been the case that a great customer experience is going to lead to great referrals and growth of your business. It's just harder to measure from point A to point B that that funnel. But it's always been really effective. It will continue to be effective. And the companies that are willing to take a risk and invest in it without needing to see ROI that's really clear will end up winning, I think. 
I agree. And I think that the success of companies like yourself, like Buffer, I think it, it proves to show that uh, there's an alternative. Like if you go back to the time that uh, you build websites, how can that strategy be applied to building websites and web design? Yeah, it's 100% referral. At least in our business, it was, right? I mean, uh, you're spending a lot of time and effort and energy creating something for that client. And I'm, I mean, our business was entirely dependent on being able to get referrals from other people and the people that we had worked with. And so uh, I think it's even more of a critical thing to do well when you're an agency, right? Doing, doing things that on paper may not scale as well as software, right? So more than 90% of our customers will pay Help Scout without us ever talking with them. <laughs> and that's not the case in the website business, right? You're, you're cultivating relationships with these people and you're working really hard on something that probably doesn't cost them a small amount of money to invest in. And so uh, managing that relationship and succeeding in that relationship is not only quite challenging, but it can be quite rewarding if you get it right. So it's, it's kind of table stakes in the web design business. That approach uh, is, is also one of the things you're known for in your website, which is the illustration in your blog. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of unique. And uh, I really love the, even the speed art that uh, you had of your uh, illustrator creating that. Uh, so how did that uh, decision came to be? Yeah, so we've always, again, been willing to invest in things that you can't write a check for. Uh, and illustration is one of those things. If you saw the dollar amount that we put into illustration at Help Scout, it would probably be a big number. I don't know what the number is, but I'm assuming it would be a big number. But the the bottom line is we're really dedicated to making great stuff. That's why I get up in the morning is to make really great stuff, not to make more revenue. Um, revenue is a byproduct, in my opinion. The things that we should be focused on are the things that make people smile, the things that help people do their job better. And to some extent, illustration has always been a, a really big part of Help Scout. Whenever you empty the inbox, you'll see an illustration of some sort. And over the last couple of years, we've really refined that style uh, and gone a different direction in that style. And it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, frankly, we're all two of the three founders are designers. We love to design things. We love to create new things. And we love to make things that, are, that we're really proud of. And illustration is a big part of that. It's a really great way for us to show diverse people in all sorts of different ways, all sorts of different contexts, and have a lot of fun and be a little bit edgy. Photography is tough in that way, right? It's, it's, it kind of is what it is. But with illustration, you can be really creative. And we've had a lot of fun with it. So we'll probably continue to invest even more in, into, into those sorts of things. Yeah, I personally love it because uh, I sometimes had to, I mean, along the way, had to jump in and answer a few support tickets of my own. And I love the... Oh, the confetti? The confetti, yeah. <laughs> confetti. Yeah, you'll get, the con you'll get surprised by confetti every once in a while in Help Scout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. So you recently took a sabbatical and you wrote about it, uh, an interesting uh, blog post. And I'd like to to talk to you a bit uh, about that uh, because I found it interesting. So tell us first, uh, how did it happen? How did it make it happen? As, as a CEO, how did you prepare for that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you have to make it happen. It's not something that's just going to make sense at any given point. It's always going to be hard. But 
after almost eight years in the business, I felt two things. One, I felt tired. Two, I felt like the business would be better off and the business would learn and progress in ways that I'm unaware of if I were to step away for a month. So it was as much about recharging and sort of rebooting on my end as it was about the company being able to grow and for me to be able to come back and basically rewrite my job description. I've done that three or four times at Help Scout, and I felt like it was time for me to change my job description. We're now more than 90 people that work in 75 cities all over the world. And it's a, it's a different company than, than what it was eight years ago. And so I just, I felt a, a bunch of different things sort of tugging on me and saying, you know, in order for the company to take the next step, I have to learn what it means to step away and let other people really do their thing. Because frankly, the other people that work at Help Scout are a lot better at all of this stuff than I am. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that, but it's true. We've hired a really wonderful team and, to, and to, for me to step away means they're able to step into leadership and decision-making authority that, that they didn't have exposure to, which was awesome. So uh, a lot of things just kind of led to it. And then going through the process, uh, I did spend about three months, I had a big long list of things that I wanted to either finish or hand off before I left. So that was also a really good exercise in sort of taking things off my plate. So day-to-day decisions that I was making, I had to find somebody else to delegate those to, knowing that I was going to be gone for a month. So that was a really healthy exercise. And I stepped away. Everything still kept working. Everybody learned a lot. So it was a, it was a life-changing experience for me, to be honest. I think about it every day still. Well, I want to I, I wanna stop at a, at a point here because it's interesting the, the, what you said about changing your, your, uh, your role. And I actually read about it that the first stage was more talking to customers, building the product, and then building your team and your core values. So finally, the last years, the long-term vision. So do you think that's something that every company is kind of... because? I'm think I'm looking at it and I'm thinking that's kind of what we're going through. I, I mean, yeah, we're kind of had all those things happen in the last three years. <laughs> I absolutely think every company goes through these. Now, different individuals may handle it differently. I personally want to grow and scale in ways that make me deeply uncomfortable. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. I want to learn at a, an incredibly high velocity. And in order to do that, I, feel, I have to feel constantly uncomfortable. So for me, it was, it's really important that I be able to rewrite my job description every couple of years. Otherwise, I, I may get bored. But there's other people in the organization that really are at their best and are passionate about a certain stage of a company. So there are other people that, that may come and go in your company and add an incredible amount of value. But then they say, you know what, this stage is not really like this new job description that you're asking me to take on doesn't feel as good to me. I really like the job I was doing and I don't really want to have to adapt. And so at that point, they find another company where they can they can go add that kind of value. So not everybody wants to rewrite their role every couple of years. It's, it's quite hard. And I have all the respect in the world for that. But uh, for me, I, I, I like that. Uh, for other people, they just tend to want to work for companies that along a certain stage. And that's, that's, that's immensely valuable to, to whatever companies they're working with as well. 
one of the the challenges here is if you when you're changing your role you kind of you kind of need to update your skills your skill set so how what what where have you been your you know mentors slash resources uh, for that well I can tell you I've become a pretty terrible web designer <laughs> by way of not practicing that as much as I used to so that makes me kind of sad but there there are other skills that I have learned one is just cultivating relationships with people you know I mean my entire job today is working alongside people as a servant leader you know trying to enable them to be at their best and that is immensely challenging I'm, I'm not really sure how to tell people to do that other than like I've just tried to learn at an incredibly high velocity I do have a, a coach that I work with and she helps me a lot with these sorts of growth areas uh, or just helps me see some of the growth vectors in front of me. So that's always been really helpful. But man, working with people is a skill best applied by just kind of learning and leaning into being vulnerable, leaning into being honest and leaning into the fact that we all make mistakes and we all are working with different information and different contexts. And I've had a lot of fun doing that. Just as I've had fun learning how to build a culture and a team uh, which is slightly different than than working with the people in the in the same capacity I do today. So, how if you compare like now working with you said uh, is it ninety ninety employees? Mm -hmm. So, if you compare the way like what changed in terms of processes and and you know the the way you work and delegate and uh, what kind of stayed the same? One of the big changes that took me a while to get used to is that I no longer have access to all the information. Right? I almost never have the information. So if I see something that feels off to me or I, I may, may not like it or I may love it, I should just know that I probably don't have all the information related to how that decision, what went into that decision or whatever. And that doesn't just apply to the CEO. That applies to everyone in the company. Early on when you're 8, 10, even 25 people, everybody's pretty much working with all the same information. You know everything that's going on in the company. When it's 90 plus people, you do not and you cannot understand everything that's going on all at once. You will not have all the information. And so going in with that attitude, before I make a judgment on something, I try to either tell myself, hey, I don't have all the information and go into a conversation about that, acknowledging it. That's That's been a big key for me, just acknowledging that I don't have all the information and the person that did make that decision had had very different context than I did. So it's it's really helped me to address any concerns or frustrations that I have in a much more humble way. So that's that's been good. And what do you keep your, your at yours at your uh, like what do you keep you know close to that you don't let go of? That it's your that's your task. You don't you don't want to give someone else. I think that would be the the vision for the company and and specifically the product. You know, we have people at the company now that are really great at casting a vision and a long-term strategy for the business itself and I'm I'm definitely an input, but that's not owned by any one person. Whereas the vision for the product is still pretty much what I want to hold on to. That's that's a really important thing to me. I still talk with customers every week because it's really important that I maintain that connection and, and can guide the roadmap accordingly. So for me, it's just the, the big vision for where we want to take the product. Uh, but, you know, you, you talk to 50 CEOs, you're probably going to get 50 different answers. 
Yeah, I, I want to touch on another point that you that you wrote in the same post about uh, the difference between uh, rigid structures or processes and principles. So I, I'd love to because for us it's it's also we're a company that scales. So it's, uh, it's and I'm sure that also for any agency that's scaling, that's important because there's definitely a drive to like okay. If I'm going to take a vacation, I want to have the steps to explain how to, you know, create the next uh, blog post or whatever. So how do you, like, how, how does it work in terms of principles, setting principles? Yeah. So we've tried to hire people that share some very similar values at Help Scout. And one of those is just a desire to, to be improving in your craft in a very kind of self-sustaining way. Uh, so we hire people that are that have been doing whatever craft that they do. So a web designer, uh, we may hire a product designer that's been doing it for 10 years and is excellent at that work. And in so doing, in so, hire, in, in, in so hiring a, a team that's of a certain uh, caliber or quality, asking them to adhere to some rigid process would be easy for me to just create that process and ensure it's the same every way, every time. But that would actually limit that person from doing their best work. And uh, we talk a lot at Help Scout about people being able to do their best work. Like the, the best work, when they look back on their career, they look back at their time at Help Scout and say, that's when I feel like I was at my best and I was doing work that was really inspiring to me. And in order to unlock that level of productivity and pride for the work, I don't think it happens through rigid process. That's certainly not the way that I work. The more rules you give me, the more I'm going to be demotivated uh, by the work that I'm doing. And so by substituting out process for principles, some high-level guardrails as to how you want to uh, make decisions as a company collectively, it's much less rigid. So even with when I work with designers on product stuff, I've started to, I don't do wireframes anymore. I'll, I'll basically say, this is the problem statement. These are the challenges our customers are facing. What do you want to do about it? I used to be very prescriptive, right? Like I would do all the wireframes. I would even make a prototype. At this point, if you really want to free up people to do their best work, then maybe you don't take it that far. Maybe you really give them a lot more space to be creative. And that's what principles over process is for me. It's, it's just giving people the room to, yes, they're going to make mistakes, but they're also going to, to be able to do work that's way better than, than you thought uh, or that process would allow for. And that's what inspires me. Uh, that's the kind of workplace I would want to be in. And so that's what we're, that's what we're shooting for. Uh, what do you see in, in the future of, um, you know, um, uh, customer service and bots and AI? And what do you think will come in the future of that? And how do you think Help Scout will kind of fit in? Yeah, a couple things. First of all, we bet on small businesses and they typically have different challenges than uh, some really large companies. So there, there are very large companies like the telecom companies seem to be the most progressive in this respect is, you know, doing this omni-channel support where they're, they're doing Twitter, they're doing Facebook, they're doing phone, email, you can find them everywhere. But if you look at all the studies that are done, you find that the companies that do best in terms of customer service usually are focused on one or two channels. And so at Help Scout, we've always been focused on what are the channels that small businesses in particular really want to bet most on. 
and that's been email, uh, and then lately chat. And so we've gone really in on those two channels and being able to provide a really human experience uh, along both of those channels. So to date, we have not built Twitter. We haven't built uh, Facebook support, anything like that. Not that companies don't do that, but there aren't many small businesses that are doing that at such a meaningful scale that it becomes a really painful problem that they need to solve. So to some extent, we don't have to think about the latest trends as much as some of the bigger companies do. But I will say that, you know, we, we are working on some AI based products and we have, I mean, I've been, I've looked at every bot uh, over the last two, two, three years. I've, I've really been enamored by that space and, and trying to understand it. And what I've learned is that chatbots are a really poor UI in most cases. So what I mean by that is that um, chatbot doesn't tell you what it's capable of or not capable of. You have to, to guess, right? So there's, the UI is, is completely invisible. All you have is something that will respond to something that you type, but it's, it's not quite clear enough. So some of the best practices, some of the chatbots out there that are adhering to these best practices will ask, the chatbot will ask a question and you'll get a choice of like maybe two or three options and you click one. That's a little bit better, but to some extent, I don't understand why we make it so open-ended and pretend that these things are smart. Even the best bots on the planet today, Siri, Alexa, and the like, are pretty shit if you think about it. <laughs> They're still not that great, right? We have a long way to go. I have a, a Google, how do you call it? Google Home or the, the, you know. Oh yeah, Google Home, yeah. And, and my kid is just, my kid is five and he's just shouting. Right, just trolls, trolls it all the time, you know, like it, it, it. So I feel like it's a little bit early to get into that for support. And so what we've decided to do is instead invest in a UI that people are already familiar with, which is search. And what always uh, captivates me is like, okay, so if chatbots are so great, why isn't the Google homepage a chatbot instead of a search? Well, I think a search is actually just a better UI for a lot of different reasons. And the cool thing about Google is that you type something in and you can tell how, how confident Google is in the result based on what you see on the next page. You might just get a big list of search results along with ads, or you might get a result that's really rich, right? Like it has uh, the exact answer to your question. It could have an image. So if you're asking about you know, the 44th president, it'll bring up their photo and all sorts of information about them. If you're asking about something else, maybe you only get search results. So they're able to give you a really high fidelity AI-based answer when they have one, but then back up to a lower fidelity experience that still gives you a bunch of different options. And by way of offering it through a search UI, the user has a great sense of what, what it's capable of and what it's not. And so we're building tools today that embrace this UI and take a little bit more Google-esque approach. When you're using a website, you don't need to parse tech or you don't need to parse speech. I don't think people are going to be talking to their computers on a regular basis anytime soon. And so the chatbot UI just doesn't feel like the right one to me. And, and we're it's all about getting that user interface right, making the customer happy, delivering a great experience is all about getting that UI right. It's less about the AI behind the scenes that's running the show you actually just have to, to still develop a, a great UI. And so we're a little bit more focused on that and excited about what we're learning and can't wait to launch some fun things. Sounds exciting. 
and it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and you have you have a, a really uh unique approach and i love the the i think the humanity approach will and how can people reach you and uh, connect with you yeah so i i will say that you know a lot of times customers do want an answer quickly right and so if you can provide that answer quickly great but it always has to back up to a human and nobody's ever going to say otherwise right so i think that's where the human human approach is really important so people can can talk, contact me best way is probably on twitter at nick francis and then feel free to to email nick at helpscout.com i get all sorts of random emails every day and it's great <laughs> okay that's uh, that's great and uh, thank you nick until next time this is ben from elementor thanks ben